I'm so glad that the one I opened was not the one I dropped because that would have been uh, that would have been a bad start, bad omen for this. Yeah, yeah, that would not have been good. No, but we're uh, good. We're in the yeah. we're in the clear, man. Yep, got a good pop, good start to the episode. Um, marching band season's long. You were just talking to me before we we uh, started recording. Just like the grind is real between work, band, all of it. Yeah, it's just it's like a tough overlap right now, man. Like I'm doing my day job, then I'm working with the high school group, and then we started Cap City auditions. Uh, we just finished week two, so like all three of those things like overlapping at the same time is just quite hectic. Um, yeah, and it's gonna be like that for about a month and a half. Yeah, I'm lucky. I actually just started a new job last Monday, and basically the evening rehearsals for the group that I work with went away, so I'm not really around anymore, so my schedule kind of opened up as I started a new job, which works out well for me, but before that, I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off, making rehearsals and all that stuff. But here we are. We found the time, and we found a guest that we're both excited about, and we're just going to make it happen, making the time. So we'll let him introduce himself in a second, but before we do that, welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me as always is... Evan Worrell. And today's guest is going to be a little bit different of a viewpoint, considering most of our guests have been very battery-focused and uh, heavy. And that isn't to say he can't speak to battery stuff, because he's been around the activity for quite a while at this point, Um, but he's more of a front-ensemble kind of guy, so... Today's guest is Mike Bishop. So, uh, Mike, uh, glad to have you on today. Thanks, guys. Really, uh, really glad to be here. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, like Fantini said, most of the people I think have always marched in like drum lines, indoor, outdoor. Uh, Mike's got experience with a plethora of ensembles, educators, groups that he's worked with, taught, written for, designed for, and all that. So, I think it'll be exciting just to kind of pick his brain. Uh, get some opinions and hang out and talk band for a little bit. Definitely. So, So Mike, why don't you kind of start off and just, I guess, real briefly talk to us about how you got into band, into the activity, through kind of like your timeline of beginner synopsis up to kind of where you are today. Uh, Sure. Um, It all started in the fourth grade when I saw the fifth grade band play on the elementary school stage. And I thought I wanted to play the drums. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to have grown up in the Philadelphia area, which has kind of a rich drum corps history and marching percussion history. Um, and so um, I was kind of brought up in the days of the cadets and the crossmen kind of being from this area. And a lot of my teachers were descendants of, Tom Hannum and Tom Onks um, and those kind of and those guys and, and and Ancona and everyone kind of from this area and I just went to a small high school called Highland High School um, it was actually in New Jersey just across the river from Philadelphia and uh, we had a great little band program there um, and I, I started uh, at really around age 14 or 15 my high school band hosted the Jersey Surf Drum Corps home show and I remember being like 13 years old, I think, and watching a drum corps. I was kind of working the show as a, you know, as a host or whatever. And I was watching a drum corps and, uh, my, my mom walked up to me and said, what do you think? You think this is pretty cool? And I was like, yeah, this is like, this is wild. Like, I love this. And she was like, cool. I signed you up for Jersey surf auditions in November. And I was like mortified. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I tried out there that was for the 2001 season. Um, and I got cut actually, you know, I was young and I had a lot to learn still. And, that was one of the best things I think that happened to me in my early career because, you know, as I, as I went on to teach and, and, and work with students in drum corps and, and indoor drum lines, I always would tell them a story about getting cut. Like that is the best thing for you at, you know, at a certain age. So that was cool for me. Um, came back the next year, made the Jersey surf. Um, simultaneously, Jersey surf had a um, indoor percussion program called riptide. And so I was in riptide and surf in 2002 um, kind of that WGI spring and then to DCI summer. Um, and then I stayed with surf for four seasons and then Riptide um, merged with a local group called Eagle Percussion. Um, they united together to form United Percussion. 
And, <laughs> Is yeah, that where really, that came from, I guess? Exactly. I yeah. A lot of people that. don't know that. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. just seem like, you know, like kind of on the United like States or something, but Eagle and Riptide percussion merged together and they united together to form United Percussion. And so I was with that group, you know, I was with United for all the way to 2008. Um, I was with Surf uh, through 2005, the 2006 season. I uh, went to Carolina Crown. I just always loved that drum corps. Always loved the shows. Um, loved the music they did. Like, I was just really into them. You know, when you're, when you're in a division, what was then a Division II corps, um, now the open class equivalent, you kind of, you know, you do this little mini tour along these other kind of big kid drum corps. And I always just admire Crown. So I went and tried out for the 2006 season and made it and uh, marched there for three years, um, aging out 2008. Um, and then that indoor season, I aged out in 2009. And I ended up going to Rhythm X. Um, age out there after that i started teaching a bunch well before we get into the teaching and stuff i'm gonna backtrack so when your mom signed you up for jersey surf auditions did she know what like drum corps was or anything or she's just like i signed you up for this thing yeah so like it was like to so the surf the reason the high school uh their home show was at my high school was because that's where they rehearsed and so you know as a kid i remember being like 10 years old and, like riding my bike up to watch Jersey surf rehearsals, like in the parking lot of my high school that, you know, I had, obviously I was in elementary school or middle school at the time, but I would go up there and just kind of watch them. And, you know, I could hear them from my backyard as a kid. You'd be out there swimming with your friends or running around with your buddies in the park or whatever. And you could just kind of hear this band, this really big band playing that we'd like go check them out. And I always really enjoyed it. My mom knew that that's what I like to do. She knew that I was into music. Um, and I was going into high school that, that upcoming fall. And so, you know, the summer going into my high school year we when we kind of helped i'd already joined the high school band i was in the high school band as an eighth grader because it was a small band they needed some eighth graders to come help out so kind of funny story my first ever season of any marching percussion whatsoever um i played the gong like just the 40 inch tam tam like that was it <laughs> because um i had broken my arm um in like october so around columbus day weekend like I was climbing a tree. No, that's not what happened. That was, no, no, this one was in my middle school band hall um, that October. Uh, I was like, you know, our percussion was in the back of the band hall, like on some risers and the bell rung. And there was this cute clarinet girl I had a crush on. I was trying to catch up and like walk her to class. And I like tripped over my own two big dumb feet, landed on my arm really weird. Had to have a surgery and had like a plate put in my arm. So like I had a cast on my arm for the whole band season. So (laughs) yeah, I was like supposed to be, um, I was supposed to either like March symbols or I forget what else I was like. They had some couple different things I was doing, but I ended up, it was like, well, you're just going to stand here at the rack and like just play the gong every like 64 counts, you know? And so I just kind of like hung out. There's another <laughs> buddy of mine who like, he played the bass drum and I played the gong. We were just chill back there. I just hit them every so often. <laughs> and that was like, I look back on that. It's like crazy to think that that was what, that's where it all started. So. Dude, you're getting those impact moments. Yeah, man, from day one. <laughs> Music GE. That's awesome. that's right. Yeah, that's Dude, kind of funny. That's funny. I was always a sucker for clarinet chicks. Uh, currently married <laughs> right. to one, so there you go. It, it held through and through, but I can relate to that. I also forgot too. You mentioned about the Crossman. I was like, oh yeah, Crossman used to be a part of YEA, and like they would have camps at the same school as cadets at the same time. And stuff like Dude, that. Yeah, I mean, like Crossman, Crossman, I think of Crossman as Philly's drum corps. Like the cadets were from Bergen County, which is up by New York City. And the Crossman's first rehearsals ever were on these parking lots, like not far from my house here in the city. I live in the city of Philadelphia. Um, and their first rehearsals were out in the parking lot by the highway, like not far from here at all. So it's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, I just like, I don't know, I guess t- over time you just forget about stuff like that. Or you don't think oh, about totally. it. And now I'm just like, oh, yeah, they they weren't always in Texas. <laughs> right 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 that's funny so over your summers of marching and front ensembles and this and that how aggravating was it to like move a lot or were you just like ah, eh, this is what i signed up for i just got to move my equipment all the time well you know it's i remember those days of being like you know 15 years old or 14 years old in high school and just not being like i have to love this stuff all over the place all the time you know what i mean this sticks um, and, and kind of, you know, being frustrated with it. But as I got older, I loved being in the front ensemble so much. And I loved getting to make music and fo- and like, just only make music. And 
and being a part of the front ensemble is, is so cool because like you're the last thing that goes on the sound. Like the sound comes from behind you and goes forward, like through passes through you and goes forward and you get to add on to that sound. And I always thought that was like really, really cool, like cool thing. And so to me, that was that outweighed any other like awful part of it. Cause then you, you look out and there's a kid with a tuba and they're hating life, but they love it for some reason otherwise. So they keep doing it, you know? So like everybody's got their thing. I was getting you know ready to mean? say that's, that's how I always thought about it. It was a trade off. Like the front yeah. has to lug all that stuff around, but yeah, a snare drummer or a trumpet player only has a smaller, lighter instrument, but they're running around all day. So it's just a different animal. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Plus, I do envy the fact that you guys would always be in front and hear like the full musical ensemble. Where oh, yeah. typ typically, like the batteries in the back, and you're just like trying to play on top of the drum major's hands, and everybody's listening to you as far as like the horns or timing and that sort of thing. So you don't ever really get to hear the show until you like hear it on video or recording. Like I never once got to experience any of the Crown ensembles live, unless they were like in the brass warm up arc. So it's not right. really the same thing. Yeah, that was. But. Yeah, I'm. I got to stand in front of Crown Brass as a performer for three summers, and it was like, you know, it was incredible. I was like, oh my gosh, this is yeah. crazy. This one of my so favorite good. things. One of my favorite things ever would be when we'd get to play like like full music ensemble, and they'd put the drum line inside the brass arc, and like I was, right. I actually would have the thought like, man, the front gets to listen to this all day. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty sick. awesome. <laughs> that's pretty sick. And and if you think about it too, like front ensembles have only kind of gotten like only gotten cooler. Like the stuff you like, the music you create in a front ensemble now, like all the electronic stuff and and the way the writing has changed, the way the instruments have evolved. It's just like you know, you're making like you know, quote unquote, like real music now up there, or more so than ever before. At least you know, it's certainly trending that way. Sure. Yeah, I I can 100% am in favor of that. Some people are like oh technology and electronics and like sometimes you get the I don't want to say like old band folks or whatever they're grumpy about the electronics, but it's like, oh, you mean I can actually hear this dude play marimba with some like soft yarn mallets and not have to like hit them with uh, plastic acrylic like rubber mallets to to project to the top of the box? Yeah, I'll take option A, please. Yeah, every every single time, absolutely. Right on. Well, cool, man. So I guess that's through your like obviously not to shortchange your experience and, and relegate it down to a, a 12 minute conversation. Um, but then you said you did X 2009, which is one of my favorite shows ever touch. Love that show. Um, and then after that transition right into teaching or take time in between, man, I was, um, I was already, I remember. So I, the first thing that the first, um, kind of, I mean, I started teaching high school bands right out of high school. I mean, I went to, I remember going to my first like high school band staff meeting at my first high school gig ever. Um, and I was still in high school. Like we had a meeting at like in the end of May and we hadn't finished school yet. And I remember having to like take the bus and the train over to this other high school, like on the other side of the city and, uh, the teach. So I, I, I had been teaching high school for years, but as far as like drum corps, WGI and big programs go, um, yeah, I remember coming home. My parents drove out to Bloomington, Indiana to see DCI finals in 2008. Um, and I was in the car with them on the way back to Philly from there. And I remember getting a text from Seth Adams, who was running the Blue Stars front ensemble at the time. Um, you know, so it was the day after finals, kind of saying, hey, man, let's talk about what you're doing next summer. And that was a really cool moment for me. You know, it's one of those things like, oh, here we go. Like, this is going to happen. Because I remember at a really young age, even back at Surf, like being like 15 and 16 and just. Like I always have these great staffs of like really fun local people from the Philly area. Um, it's like I, I had a guy named like Rob Thatcher, who's been with Old Bridge High School, who's a big independent open group um, from my area. And like these kind of guys who were kind of mentors to me at a young age. But I just remember watching them have like so much fun, like teaching us. And I remember thinking like, man, I really want to do that. Like, I know I'm only 16, but like when I age out, like I'm going to I'm going to teach because it looks like it's awesome. And so getting that first text message on my flip phone the day after uh, 2008 finals was, was pretty cool. And so I was already teaching, uh, like I was already on a staff um, when I went to X for the first time. You know, I was already on a, on a DCI drum corps staff. Um, 
I remember actually trying to work out with Andrew Markworth, like when I would go to camps to teach versus when I would be at rehearsal to perform with the mix, like during those kind of winter months. So yeah, it started right away with the blue stars for the 2009 nice. summer. That's awesome. I love the fact that you also, did, didn't you just specifically say flip, flip phone? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I like I was, T, I was using T9 to reply to Seth. Like, yeah, I'm in. You know what I mean? I was so, literally like, just talking to somebody about that earlier, how I used to like hit like the numbers, like, oh, I have to hit the four twice to get this letter and all this. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Exactly. Throwback. Now I'm like talking to Siri and like Siri send a text message. But. Right. <laughs> So you, your first teaching gig was Blue Stars 09. Did you teach in 2010 at Blue Stars? I did. Not at Blue Stars. No, okay, I went to I Crown like, in 2010. Okay, because I don't – it's like I, I was there. I don't remember you on staff at all, though, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> I was in survival mode that whole summer, so I Dude. easily could have missed it. Yeah, the rookie year is always like, oh, boy, hold on. Here we go. You know, like, exactly. Yeah, summer's over, and you're like, what happens? Like – Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. You know I, mean? I blacked out, and here I am. Yeah. It's like I'm that. Tan. It's like that moment in uh in old school. Old school. Yeah, <laughs> he's doing the debate. Yeah, like Yeah, it was amazing. He's like, I don't know. I blacked out. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely yes. rookie jump court for sure. For uh, sure. Anytime you can reference old school, it's a good time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The episode's already our best one ever, just because of that. <laughs> so. Crown 2010. Like- where I was, yeah, that was a, quite an interesting summer from my perspective. So, yeah, man, it's um, you know, from our from the staff side of thing, that was pretty wild for me too. It definitely uh, was, you know, a kind of I, I came to learn down the road that it definitely was part of a I'm gonna say a pattern, but Crown had these kind of we would have these seasons where we climb and climb and climb and get really like get really high, score really well, and then the next year kind of have like a drop off. And climb, 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 and have a drop off. Not that it's like a bad thing, you know. I think, and I'm probably every group goes to that at some point. It's probably part of the growing pains of it. But I remember being on this trajectory. The drum corps really been on trajectory since 2003, um, all the way up to 09, like getting the silver medal that year. And it was cool for me as an alumni, kind of, you know, not a part of it, but just to kind of root for those guys a little bit. With even though it was at the Blue Stars, and was, you know, we were just in a different neighborhood from Crown, and so we were all rooting for them. And obviously, it happened. But then that 2010 year, I was like. You know, Lee Bettis called me, asked me to come up, come on board, and Ian Hale and Andrew and all these guys, and Steve Ballard, and it was like, oh yeah, man, I'm in. It's gonna be awesome. And then, uh, you know, it was it was just a tough summer. Um, I I learned a lot. You know, a lot of people who I had been marching with just two summers prior were still in the group. Um, and so, you know, there was that dynamic that was hard. Um, and you know, I was kind of I was an East Coast guy. I, I was like kind of hard nosed about some stuff that. I later grew to kind of chill out about, but you know, it was, it was a difficult thing. And, and when you're teaching your peers, you know, there's some, there's some di- different issues that are a little bit harder, I think, than you're teaching all new people. Like I had a great summer in 2009 at Blue Stars. There were some challenges of course, but I, my relationship with the students was really, really positive and I had a great experience. But that first summer at crown, I, I really learned a lot about, about teaching, teaching people that are close to you in age or teaching people that maybe, might be more challenging than you expected not because of not because there are bad people or there's anything wrong with them it's just there's there's some kind of connection miss missing or there's some kind of outer source of of pressure that's happening and so we had we really learned worked a lot through that summer and it's one of those summers where after it was over you know it was kind of like a rookie year of staff even though i was on the staff of blue stars in 2009 uh, 2010 a lot kind of feels a lot like a rookie summer for me i learned a lot and when it was over it was kind of a blur um so yeah, that I whole season, that yeah, yeah, the whole season was just wild from the beginning. I mean, even from like the camps when we didn't get the rights to music that we wanted to do. That that was a big point. Stuff. Uh, yeah, like I that, just, that uh, almost changed the whole vibe of the show. Like I really we didn't think it get did. The rights to any of the Bernstein stuff. Um, I, I was just talking with Andrew Markworth about that like last week. Actually, him and I were down in Austin, Texas, doing all the uh, work with some bands down there. But we this summer came up, and we were. I was like, man, what a what a year and he was like dude if we would have gotten the rights to that bernstein music the we, mask we, every, yeah the mask like it just really would have changed the program and and and, and that's another thing i took away from that show really i, I learned it the next year in 2011 because that rockstar show was so good and so positive and so fun that the show really really affects the season you know it really really affects the dynamic of 
how the staff feels, how the membership feels, who's buying into what, what's the energy of the, of the organization like. Um, and I feel like not getting that Bernstein stuff, just hit, it's really hit the organization really hard. You know? it, it was like an omen for how everything else was going to go because there were so many injuries in the battery. There was like, and you were talking about teaching. I, I can understand from that point of view. Uh, there was a summer, like two years after I graduated high school, I went back and helped teach some band camp at the other the high school I graduated from where there was kids there that drummed with me like two years prior. And it's just like, well, these guys are like my friends, but now I'm like trying to tell them what to do sort of vibe. Right. Oh, it can so be a that's weird an interesting dynamic. thing to navigate. Yeah. I mean, the guy that I, the guy that taught me in high school was an old school, like spirit of Atlanta guy, I guess spirit from JSU who way back when, like in the eighties, his policy was he would not hire a graduate until all the kids he was in high school with there had graduated. And I, and I never understood it until I actually did go back and start teaching after college more. And I realized, like, yeah, this would have been kind of an odd situation if I was trying to teach my friends versus kids that didn't really know me or, or all they knew me as was their instructor. Right. For sure. So he did the crown thing for a handful of years. Um, next up, you went to Crossman. When did, like, the whole spirit and Eurox was that later? Yeah, so there's, like... Um... So that was kind of so. I'm trying to think. That was the, the WGI 2014 season. So um, 2013 crown happens. We won that summer. That was like awesome, obviously. And that was not that summer was awesome, not because we won. We just that was one of those summers where the show was cool. We went to California on the tour. Like everyone had a great time, and we were just kind of all buzzing after that summer. And I remember getting back back to down to Austin. I was living down in Austin at the time, working at Cedar Park High School. And I remember getting a T wolves up. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Time. Get your T wolves up. And I remember, um, Craig Dunn, the founder of rhythm X posted a, made a post in the rhythm X alumni group that said, Hey, um, European X is looking for someone to come over in January, um, of 2014 to stay until through CGM color guard, Netherlands finals, um, which are at the end of March. And I remember like turning to my now wife, who's at the time, Kelsey, my girlfriend, and I was saying like, Oh my gosh, like I, ha I have to do this. Like, this is so awesome. Like, I love to travel. I love to teach. At the time in Texas, there wasn't a ton of indoor stuff happening. So, my indoor seasons were pretty wide open. There were a couple little local groups I would work with, um, but there wasn't a ton going on. And so, I quickly emailed or messaged Craig and was like, dude, I'm in. Let, let's do it. And when I got to European X on um, that January, I ended up, you know, once you're over there, you kind of network and you're like, Hey, I'm here for 10 weeks. So, you know, who wants me? <laughs> and, uh, a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of lo local little community bands over there. Cause they don't really have music in schools. They do everything through like independent community organizations, a lot of times subsidized by like the local town. Um, and so there's a bunch of little community bands and show bands that I helped out, but there was also the spirit of 52 drum corps, um, from, uh, Rostata, Germany that had a kind of a, an unofficial partnership with European X through some shared staff members, and um, I went in there a couple times and, you know, kind of helped. I, at first it was kind of a clinic and then I kind of helped them rewrite some parts because they were like, hey, can you look at this part of the music? Like, we don't know what to play here and kind of like help them with that. And then over time, that turned into writing more and more. And then I ended up being their front ensemble ranger there for a while. So um, I was with the core, I think, for like four or five years. And it was it was a really, really great experience. Really cool. I got to go over to Drum Corps Europe finals every year, DCE, um, the end of September. And hang with them for a week or two. Uh, I ended up getting involved with the company drum corps from Manchester, England, or Chesterfield, England, I should say, with uh, through Andrew Markworth. Hung out with them a little bit. They were kind of the perennial um, DCE champion or silver medalist, depending on the year. And I kind of got involved in the European music scene. It was cool. European X every year. Been writing, been writing for them now. Andrew Markworth is writing there for a while. He's since kind of walked away from that, and I, I slid in there and took over since I've been going over so much. Um, and I've been writing there for. I think since 2017 or 2018 now. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a great experience. Like they're great people. I go over there a couple of times a year. It's a great little scene of, of drum corps enthusiasts. You know, it's a hobby for them over there. So it's, it's a little bit different than, uh, than it is for us. They don't have music in schools, like I mentioned. So they kind of have to get better on their own. So they love when Americans come over because we live and breathe this stuff. And so we can usually offer them some things they never thought of. And 
if they're able to, to get enough talent together to work hard enough to make enough money to go march an American core or an American WGI group, that kind of helps, you know, that's a great, great experience for them. So it's, it's something that they never get back in their home country, but also they can, when they get back, they can kind of teach and, and spread that knowledge a little bit that they picked up over here and it, it kind of helps the community grow. So it's a great little, little community over there. And I had forgotten so, you'd been so involved over there in Europe, but I've always been curious is, is European drum corps growing? Is it kind of stagnant? Is it in popularity or size, I guess? Cause I've always heard about it as a thing that existed, but I've never really known much about it or looked into it too much. But so what, what, what's really going on? Is it growing or. Um, I would say, you know, depending on the year, some years are better than other, but I would say in general, it's probably shrinking a little bit or, I shouldn't even say that. I think what's happening is what you saw with DCI maybe 20 or 30 years ago, or even still to this day, where smaller local cores or smaller cores that don't do as well maybe combine or they fold and then all those members go to another core. And that core now is like way bigger because they have more people just mm-hmm. being a part of it. You know, the area that Europe is not a, it's not a huge area to begin with. And the countries that participate in drum corps and, and color guard and WGI aren't, you know, there's few and far between. So to begin with, so um, like, for example, there's a drum corps that's been coming over for years that you guys may remember called Beatrix. I'm from the Netherlands and they were always really big. Um, and then now they're pretty much gone as a drum corps and they exist sometimes as a wins group. They were in, they were over here for WGI wins last this past season. Um, and so, you know, they're different there, but a lot of their membership, has gone and maybe done a uh, U-ball or, or one of the German cores or something. So there's other, there's other things happening. Um, part of it is, you know, it's a hobby like anything else and there's no age out. So it's hard sometimes to get members to come back in the sense that they can always come back whenever. So they might, you know, instead <laughs> of saying like, yeah, instead of being like, you know, I can come back, I have to march now because I only have three years left. And if I don't do these three years, I'll never get to do it again. It's like, well, it's like less of a sense, less sure. of a sense yeah. of urgency. There's no urgency. Like, it it's in. like, yeah, right. I might take a couple of years to go do, go to the university. Then after that, maybe I'll see what's happening. And then maybe I'll come back. And if not, you know, it's just a hobby. It's no big deal. Like I, I'll just be a spectator or whatever. So that happens. Um, that happens kind of a, quite a bit. Um, so I think those, those are kind of the bigger issues that they run into, you know, just like any American group, they, they struggle with, fundraising and finding money and mm-hmm. the dues are way cheaper over there i mean a season of indoor might be 400 euros which is probably like 600 us dollars you know it's not that it's not that expensive at all relative to the americans but in their mind like that's a lot of money it's like well i'm gonna spend like 400 euro on on this hobby like, that seems kind of crazy you know what mm-hmm. i mean so they have to really decide if they want to do that and that whole thing and their jobs don't work as well with it so there's a lot of there's just a lot of different dynamics at play so the short answer to your question is i think you know, in some ways, some things are, sh- are going away. Some some groups are getting stronger because of that. Um, but it is certainly, it, it is a little different. And just like anything, I think, um, you know, a lot of the hobbies, and even in America, I mean, there's so many more things for people to do now. There's, you know, there's the internet exists. There's That's video games. There's That's smartphones. Like, people, yeah. people aren't bored like they were in the 70s and 80s or earlier, where they would go do these massive hobbies together to eat up a bunch of time that they just had you know what i mean yeah. people just we're not we don't really exist like that as a society anymore so if you're not committed into it all in it's not going to really happen for you for mm. sure it's interesting was the te- was the teaching of the individuals like the was there any language barrier issues or like um, especially i think when i'm when i think about musical terms maybe like not translating from one language to the other <laughs> yeah it's funny you say that like so it's my, the first group I ever worked with over there was a Dutch group, European X. And so I picked up Dutch really quick and I would try as a teacher, like as, it, it kind of reminds me of when I first moved to Ohio to teach. Um, I worked at Bellbrook high school and I, and in Philadelphia, when you say the word orange, you say orange, like Florida oranges. Right. <laughs> and so yeah. what I was, I remember teaching in Ohio and I was like, give me those orange mouths. Like use the orange mouths here. And they'd all go orange, orange and make fun of me. Right. And it was like, okay, that's funny. But like we're, it's also distracting from like what we're trying to get done. So I would make sure to always say like oranges and speak in their accent. So there would be like no distraction and I would like get rid of my Philly accent. So what I would do to, to like scale it up bigger when I got to Europe, 
the first thing I would do when I was working with European X was learn how to run a rehearsal in Dutch to the best of my ability, like give directions in Dutch, like go, all right, everybody, here we go. Like say that in Dutch, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. So that I would be able to kind of just be more efficient and, and they're not having to translate what I'm saying when I'm giving directions or whatever, you know, corrections or one thing, cause they kind of, there's a little bit of nuance there. So sometimes, you know, people would translate, we'd work through that stuff, but I would try to do, try to run rehearsals in as much of rehearsal as I could in Dutch. And then the same thing when I went to start teaching at the spirit of 52 is I would try to do as much of it as I could in German. And, and just kind of, just to kind of remove that barrier from the process, like just to keep everything moving kind of efficiently. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool that you've invested like into the language that much. That's awesome. I always think back to that because just ironically, I remember sitting on the bus one time during the summer and Frank Torres, who is already just a hilarious individual, was sitting there like drumming on the back of the tour bus. But he was like narrating himself in like Spanish. And then he stopped and he goes, I don't know how to say open the threes in Spanish, like the way that you would to like a bass drum. Like, oh, you need to open your threes. You're too crushed. Like, so those sort of like right. commonplace things you kind of take for granted in English. It's like, I don't know how to say this and make <laughs> have this make sense to what I want, get you to do what I want you to do. Uh, yeah, there's there's definitely some weird uh, like colloquialisms like with German to English that like don't really don't really work out. Like one thing that like so it was kind of cool and kind of like enlightening about this language thing was it really it kind of got me to like nerd out about linguistics a little bit. And one of the things that we do in English is we add like up and out and in to like a lot of things. Like I'm gonna sleep in or I'm gonna like go like pick up that pencil you know what i mean like or whatever like i don't know like you add things these extra like words onto things that don't translate the right way to to other languages and so like sometimes there would be these weird i'd have to like think about it if i was going to say it in english i would try to say it like as plainly as possible so that i could get them to so that it would kind of translate cleaner to them in real time if that makes sense i probably overthought it a little bit i definitely need to do that but i kind of got into it too no, that makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of just English slang, like, oh, we're going out. But yeah, that, that that we understand what that means to us, but maybe somebody who's translating English from that to another language in their heads, like, I don't really know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. But cool, man. So you spent time over there, did the Euro trip, which sounds awesome. I mean, obviously you're in Europe, and I'm sure you got to see a lot of awesome stuff while you are there. Ten weeks in Europe sounds amazing. Um then it was pretty awesome. <laughs> was that when you were working at with Bellbrook or were you already in Texas at that point? Um, yeah. So I, so I moved. Okay. So quick timeline overview, age out of crown in 08 in August. So that actually that August, I moved to Orlando for like four months and I was, I was a monorail pilot at Walt Disney world in the Disney college <laughs> program. What? <laughs> yeah. Um, Random. And it was like, pretty awesome basically like leading up to that summer i like didn't know what i wanted to do and so i was like okay i need something to do after ahl i'm gonna go i was working at like a hollister clothing store and this guy that i was working with at the time like i just gotten back from it and he was like dude you should do this it's awesome <laughs> I was like okay so i right i was like i worked for the overnight folding clothes for like nine bucks an hour and i uh and so the guy was like, yeah, man, you got to do this. So I checked it out. I applied. I interviewed. I got in. And so I lived in Orlando from like mid-August to mid-December um, as a monorail pilot at Walt Disney World. And it was incredible. Um, and so from there, though, however, I got, you know, Rhythm X was starting up for the 09 season. Um, they saved they saved the spot for me in the Marimba line. And I got up to Centerville in like mid-December, ended up moving into a little town home in Columbus, like right around the new year, right after Christmas. Um, and I lived in Columbus for about, for the Rhythm X season. And then after that, I moved back to the Dayton area and it was at Bellbrook for the 09-2010 school year and the 2010-2011 school year. Um, and then the summer of 2011, I ended up, I'm, I ran into Evan Van Doren on tour. He was a band director at Cedar Park at the time. And Evan convinced me to move down to Cedar Park and I moved there the summer of 2011. So when the European X stuff was happening, I was living in Texas. Indoor scene was real lame. Um, and so 
you know, that it, it was like kind of an opportunity to go over there that 2014 season. Um, so that's kind of how that happened. Before that, I had been at Redline for the 2010 and 2011 season. Um, and that was a great experience uh, with those guys, great group of people. Um, and they kind of took the decided to take some time off after 2011. And that was kind of really what released me in my mind. I remember talking with uh, Evan Van Dorn about going to Texas. And it was he was like, why wouldn't you come down here? Like, this is a great opportunity for you. And I was like, well, you know, I love WGI. WGI isn't really big down there. And he said, okay, well, what are you doing? I was like, well, I guess I don't know. Because Redline, Redline decided to go inactive for a couple of years. So I kind of was uh, wide open. And that's what put me down in Texas. Sweet. And so that kind of, I guess, will be a good segue into Texas band in general. Um, obviously, Cedar Park, Timberwolves. That's why I brought up the T-Wolves up. I always saw you post that stuff or just like football games. Didn't you start like a thing with like the mayor or something? Yeah, like man. <laughs> so um, there was this there was this little sports bar on the same street as the high school. That, and this little sports bar was right next to Cedar Park City Hall. It was called Highlights. And every other Tuesday night, the city council would have a city council meeting and then they'd have like a social or a highlights after their city council meeting. And I was, a, I was part of a group of regulars who on Tuesdays would go have like, you know, I would go sit at the bar. My wife works nights. So I'd sit at the bar and I would eat my dinner there. I got to know the bartender. I got to know the other regulars who come in. And one of them, you know, had been there for a while and, and got to know the city council people. So they introduced me to the mayor and he was like, Oh, uh, you know, mayor Matt Powell at the time. He was like, Hey man, what do you do? Like, what's your deal? And I was like, Oh, I work with the band. He's like, oh, cool. He goes, I'm going to be at the Cedar Park Vista Ridge football game in like three weeks. And Vista Ridge is the other high school in Cedar Park. And I was like, oh, cool. And I kind of just looked at him for a second. I was like, dude, we got to like, it would be cool if you're there to like present like a trophy. Like what if there was like a mayor's cup? And this dude, like a typical politician, he was like, oh, my God, I'm doing it. Like, yes. And within like two weeks, he had a trophy made, a plaque put on it. And like he was ready to go and. And Cedar Park won the first Mayor's Cup, and like he presented it to the to the team, and we were there, and we got a picture with it. And it was like a really cool thing, and like that was like my claim to fame in the city of Cedar Park was I helped <laughs> like create the Mayor's Cup for the football teams. Now it's like an annual thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's been an annual thing for a few years. And I think Cedar Park might have undefeated in it actually, but then unfortunately there was some like redistricting with the football districts, and Cedar Park doesn't play this origin anymore, and it's like a total bummer. Bummer. <laughs> um, I'd like to think that if the Maris Cup was like an established thing for like the last 50 years, you know, they battled or whatever, that they would have like found a way to keep it. But it just kind of went away and like nobody really cared. But it was a good run when we had it. It was always fun and we always hyped it. And it was, you know, it was it was a cool thing. That's fun. nice. Yeah. So let's shift directions a little bit from your background and on everywhere you've taught, et cetera, to kind of front ensemble in general and something that i've been wanting to ask kind of bluntly to like a, a very front knowledgeable person for a while now is is bd's pit really that good <laughs> <laughs> yes okay and then let, let me let me justify this or i guess i think that's the right word there but there's been a lot of years over the past 15 especially where it's like man how did BD win the drum trophy that season? They were clearly like the third best drum line. And everybody, me at least, I would default to, well, I, I guess their pit was just better. And that's why I wanted to ask, is their pit really just that good? I'd say, I'd say if you asked me this in like 2008 or earlier, I wasn't into what they did. But something happened around like 9, 10, 11, 12 years that, kind of changed the way they looked and sounded. I don't know if, I don't know if Jim Wonderlick had gotten more involved at that time or what happened, but they really, like, they became a group that I really learned, like, grew to respect, um, kind of respect the heck out of. They, they, they're one of those kind of sleeper pits. Like, you look at them and they're like, you know, you don't really, maybe if you don't know, you don't know, but if you kind of watch what they're doing and you kind of get in there a little bit, there's a lot of excellence happening. There's a lot of, a lot of cool stuff, a lot of different stuff, you know, and, Part of it is blue, the way Blue Devils, you know, the way they the way they pace and write their shows is just different than everybody else, and that's you kind great. of feel like that. Sure. Like whenever I feel like whenever I watch the Blue Devils, like you know, you kind of watch them. You're like, what just what just happened? But <laughs> as you if you go back and you watch it again, or you focus on one section or one thing, like I'm going to just watch 
all the cool visual stuff they do, or I'm just going to just watch the trumpets, or I'm going to just watch the front ensemble, you'll start to see that there's a lot of stuff happening all at once. And it's in there. You just have to kind of find it. And it doesn't present itself maybe in a way that another drum corps might do it. But at the same time, it's like crystal clear, you know? So they are that good. <laughs> all right. Well, there you have it, folks. Mystery solved. <laughs> Uh, so well, I don't know if it's a mystery to many people, I know, but I know. we're not as nuanced but, and expertise in the front ensemble world. But uh, since we shifted gears, I guess talk about a little bit about competitive DCI. The recent rule change that just came in to play this summer about uh, limiting percussion judges going out on the field and that sort of thing. Listening to tapes, the tapes that I have heard from the summer, which is only like three or four, clearly judges are getting a much better read of the front ensemble other than the ballad which i think maybe was typically more prevalent especially in like the p1 judges tapes when there was on field and in the box you'd get like the judge out with the battery most of the time and then they travel up to the front um <laughs> during the ballad what's your kind of like take vibe or criticisms or pros and cons versus versus the change whatever whatever way you view it sure i think you know I, I obviously was never a battery person. I can, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of a battery guy at heart who ended up in the front ensemble. Like I, I totally have that fighter pilot kind of like mentality of like go out there and freaking nail it every time, put it in their face. Like I get all that. That's how I always would feel when a judge would walk, would walk in front of the front ensemble as I was performing. Like I want to put it in their face. I want them to be like, oh my god, this is incredible. Um, and I want all that stuff, but I do think that this was a good change in general for the activity. And I know there's a lot of people who don't think that and a lot of people who do, it's pretty split, but I think overall we're getting a more balanced, um, read. And, you know, I think it, it kind of reminds me what's happened, I would say is, or what could have happened is groups are going to write their battery books differently. You know, they're going to write, they're going to maybe open up some moments that don't need to be as dense because you're not going to get a read on those things. And why spend the time cleaning them anyway, if and if you can find something simpler that serves the music, which has kind of been the approach. Um, that's always kind of been Hannum's approach in some ways. The mm -hmm. Crown, it's like he doesn't, you know, fill the book out 24/7. At least when he first got there. I know I don't I don't want to speak to what what the, the good, you know Travis and Dan and those guys down there are doing a great job. But when he first got to Crown, he kind of had that vibe of like we're not going to just fill this in for the sake of filling it in all the time, um, like so many groups were doing, um, and but that never really went along to what was actually happening, which was judges were running around out there. And now the activity has changed to, to kind of be better for those groups that choose to do that, which reminds me a lot of Texas fan, the Texas fan. Um, you're not supposed to have a lot of percussion kind of filling up your show all the time. It's more about the wins. It's on the sheets that way. And so to me, I was already kind of like mentally ready for it. It's like, okay, this is, well, we're just going to kind of remove them out of, out of the overall picture 24 seven and make it more about the, the music, the, the big music picture. Um, as a front ensemble person, I think that's fantastic because I always felt like they didn't get the reads that they deserved, especially if it was a good front ensemble. You know what I mean? If you had, if your front ensemble wasn't amazing or wasn't doing some stuff, you could probably get away with them just kind of hanging out and being good. But nowadays like, they're going to have to do, they're going to have to display techniques more often, more of the time, which I think I'm in favor of. I'm also kind of a tenacious front ensemble person compared to maybe some other people. You know, I kind of, even though I'm from the East Coast and I grew up in the Crossing Cadets Crown world, when I got to Crown, we were playing the techniques that were developed by Eric Johnson and, and the Cavaliers, this kind of athletic approach, this kind of tenacious, aggressive fighter pilot approach, battery approach to front ensemble. Not necessarily like in how hard we would hit the keyboards, but just in our mindset and our focus. Um, and so... I have, I've always kind of had that approach uh, myself. And so I think it's great that, that, the, that the judges get to see those groups that are kind of putting it out there like that and putting themselves up, up for, for grabs there. It's interesting that you say that groups are going to open up some space and have less dense writing in moments that aren't quite as exposed to the battery because we've already discussed on here and Evan and I have discussed it too off the podcast that there were groups that already did that this summer. I mean, oh yeah clearly i think i think bd had some easier ones bd's kind of been doing that already the whole time but 
Um, Cavaliers definitely did it this summer. Who else, Evan, did we notice did that this summer? I feel like there was a couple, a couple more. Well, there were definitely groups that – so BD and Cavaliers. Of course, BD has been the masters of design for a long time and mm-hmm. what they do with smoke and mirrors and when they chose choose to show you high-level excerpts and when they choose to hide stuff. Uh, Cavaliers, for sure. I mean, they did extremely well. Of course, their their front ensemble was very, very good. But all year long, we'd watch the battery and just be like, man, the content is just not there. But then you'd watch the exposed moments, and you're like, the content is very much there. Mm-hmm. But then when they're in the background, it was just very ri- much written to the overall f- music effect of the show. Um, and then in the opposite direction, there were groups like Boston and Phantom, who probably played more notes than anybody but that definitely did not translate into a higher placement as far as it went to percussion scores so it was definitely a quality over quantity summer right i definitely i think that you know as an activity like we're like we're finding our balance with that kind of thing and i i think that this doesn't need to be all of the notes all of the time and if we can find a way like because really what this is about is rewarding like the best drum core, and when when we if we've decided with the, that the best drum core should be more balanced in that sense from musical standpoint, but I, I think I'm into that. You know what I mean? That, that makes a lot of sense to me. Because um, if 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 this thing, if we're trying to make music, and this is the you know, drum core is obviously not just typical music, but I think there's qualities of balance and musical voice balance to all music that we don't want to lose sight of in the favor of of points. And I think that maybe scaling the, the drumline thing back a little bit helps us kind of find that musical balance from an, from an art standpoint. You know what I mean? For sure. I do think it's a little bit ironic though, that some of, uh, at least some of the words or rumors I heard through the grapevine were about visual designers, not wanting judges running out in between sets. And it was like limiting and like a safety issue and this and that. But now it's kind of ironic that in order to get the battery, the credit that they need to boost your score from the percussion judge since he's limited on the area that he's able to cover, the visual designers have to bring them to the front more frequently to get those reads from the judge in order to get the, the credit that they, they want. <laughs> sure, so yeah, it, it works both ways. But, uh, Definitely. Yeah, I, I'm still not sold. In my heart, I miss like the tapes hearing the taste where they're like out there oh, yeah, and they're just giving it to them. But you also, it also does make a lot of sense too that maybe front ensembles are going to really start to explore what they're able to do because they know that the judge is going to be up there and the content there is probably only going to get like crazier and crazier just because they know they're going to get the exposure and it's worth working on like the risk versus reward. And they have the most time to work the right. musical moments because they're not having to deal with the visual responsibility that the moving members are. So, which I think yeah. is kind of wild. Exactly. And I think, you know, it comes and always comes around to judges training as well. You know, I think these CI has, has great judges. Um, you had a great one on, you have Mike Lightskin on, like Mike's the man, like there's a lot of mm-hmm. good judges out there. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, I, you know, I remember back in the day, it was like, Oh, we get a judge. who's like a pick guy, you know, tonight when I was marching, it was like, cool. Because there were so many battery-centric judges, but I think you know you get you get more front ensemble judges or people who speak the front ensemble language a little bit better out there. Those things start to get more rewarded, and it will only grow upon itself. And I think you know in five or ten years, we're going to be pretty blown away by what these kids are playing up in the front of the field. So I'm excited about it as a front ensemble person. I think yeah, I think also too. I've never really thought about this until you just brought it up as like, you're talking about a front ensemble judge versus a battery judge. But I feel like in my experience marching, the people in the front ensemble have more knowledge and understanding of nuance with the battery than some of the battery primary folks do about the front ensemble. If that makes sense. Yeah. If I, were, if I, would, that I would agree with that a hundred percent. I think, I think that's, that's definitely, definitely the true. Case. Yeah. I think yeah, it's definitely uh, the case. For sure. And, and that's even speaking about myself personally, I definitely think there's nuance and things that I lack um, from a knowledge standpoint when I'm judging high school front ensembles that maybe someone who was in a front ensemble 
that's been around this activity probably has more battery knowledge than I do in relation, right. like crossing over there. But my, my, I always kind of felt this, like, I, you know, in general, like I said, I was glad that this happened, but another alternative I always kind of imagined in my mind would be that there would be two percussion judges on the field, one that ran around and chased the battery and one that hung up front only. And We've like, had this just exact same discussion. <laughs> yeah. Like that to me was, would have been awesome. But I think that this is, you know, this is a great, this is a great big picture solution too. Yeah. I wish that we've talked, like we said, we just, yep. we've had that discussion. I think that that would be a match made in heaven, like one for each on the field. Like yeah. one that stays with the pit, one that stays. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think uh, it's a personnel issue. I don't think they have a number of judges to do that. <laughs> well, that that's and a big part of it I mean, that's, It costs a lot of money to have a judge be at a show. That's not a cheap thing. When you're talking about adding another person out there for every show, of course, I know now they do it to where there's not every caption on the field for every show. Exactly. Until, like, the back half. Uh, so they're trying to save money in that regard, which I get. But I, just, I don't think that that will ever happen. But there to dream. <laughs> yeah. Only yeah, in a perfect definitely. world. Well, actually, there's a, there is a perfect place where that happens. I don't know if anyone's ever talked about this before. But in Texas, um, in the fall, <laughs> the there are <laughs> – there are drumline competitions. The Dripping uh, Springs. There's Dripping Springs. And then the big one, like the unofficial state championship, is called the Lone Star Classic. That's up at Marcus. So Dripping Springs is always like the week before. So uh, pretty much everybody starts band around the same time. It used to be the first show of the year was always the first weekend of October, um, but which is this past weekend. But BOA kind of started to get dipped down in Texas a little bit more. Um, and so now they have their first show, BOA Austin, is the last weekend in September. So that means Dripping Springs is always the weekend before that. And then um, the weekend, usually the weekend of BOA Grand Nationals, which is the weekend after BOA San Antonio, is the Lone Star Classic. And so you kind of book on your season with these drumline competitions. And they are awesome. Like, I wish, like, at first I was like, really? But once you experience it, it's so cool, man. You arc up, you, you put your, you set, you set your pit up, you arc up the battery behind it, and you just play your show down. And... You know, put the kids on stands if you want to or not, whatever, you know, whatever you, your call is. And you just have a couple judges up in the box and then like three or four judges just walk around with microphones and go in. And, like they go in and out of everything and they go sample everybody. And it's really, 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 really cool um, thing for the kids. And as an instructor, it's cool because like it challenges you, man. Like, you've got to be ready for Dripping Springs, you know, in the, in the middle of September. You got to be ready to sound really good because you're hanging it all out there. And it's, it's Dude, the middle I, of the afternoon. It's yeah. hot and it's crazy. That and you got incredible. like good dudes. Yeah, man. Dude, you got, I was like, like amazed. I was like amazed too because I've watched some of those videos on YouTube. They've been coming up and popping up. Uh, I saw Vandergriff, which was just <laughs> incredible. Uh, but I was like so surprised too that first of all, it sounded great. But second of all, I was just like, man, they have like all eight minutes of this. In oh, there. yeah. Like, it's all in there, like, versus here in Kentucky, a lot of bands, especially the bigger ones, are, like, just now finishing shows and, like, getting them all out there for the first time. Dude, my but, like, I'm sitting there watching pit. Vandergriff with, like, eight snares, four quads, six bases, like, six marimbas, six vibes, just, like, a stacked pit. And they're just, like, killing it. And I was like, this is insane. It's a difference in culture, man. The group that I teach, the percussion it's... section, still finished and learning the closer music. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, that's part of, that was kind of, I think, where this all came from was, you know, years ago, 15, 20 years ago, the drip, because there was always a Lone Star Classic at the end of the season, which was like, all right, who's the best? But the early season one kind of came from, it, it forces everyone to get, kind of get their stuff together early so that they're prepared for the season. You know what I mean? Because it's so important to have your percussion section be ready for the band to, to make sure the band's set up well. This forces you to do that. And it, and it kind of is a friendly thing to, just kind of give yourself an early season checkpoint to be ready to make sure you did all your summer band preparation the right way that the kids are learning the music. You've gotten the music written, all those things to get you in a good place. And it's cool for the kids, man. There's, you know, there's every caption has an award. There's a best symbol line. There's a best front ensemble. There's a best baseline. You know, there's the best everything. And that's always, that's always really fulfilling to, you know, to be able to, even if you don't get, you know, if you don't win the day, it's like, yeah, we got second, but we got best front ensemble and best baseline. It's like, all right, that's pretty awesome. You know, it feels good to walk Plus, away with I that. Think I think that's so motivating and fulfilling yeah. for the kids because, I mean, they, that stuff doesn't always – it factors into the sheet when you're talking about, like, music GE and music ensemble. But there's no high school Fred Sanford for UIL no, or BOA. Right, exactly. 
so exactly. it's kind of like their 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 thing to like strive for. Like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna win Dripping Springs or Lone Star, and definitely. Plus, like you said, just do all the groups compete, or is it by choice? Or it's solely by choice. Um, it's by choice, and it's by school size. And you know, you can always like Cedar Park. We're so there's there's the different school sizes in Texas go from single A to six A, and Cedar Park is always five A. Um, but we would we would like opt up to six A just to compete with the big boys because we knew we could. Um, but you know, you couldn't really go down. But it was it was kind of free form. It's like whatever you want to do, man. Like if you want to go up six A and go up against Vandergrift and the Dripping Springs and whoever else is really good, then like you know Vista Ridge and go for it. And we and we would kind of try to do that. And then the same thing at Lone Star is like you kind of like there was like red and silver division, but those are based on like this, I think kind of on the skill set thing, and you put yourself out there for that thing. So. It was always, uh, you know, kind of puts the pressure on you to get it, get everything ready. But Man, it, it's a lot of fun. You guys I won um, the best front ensemble, didn't you? Or like oh, best airline? Yeah, we won. We we won. We we did best front ensemble quite a few times. Always kind of felt really proud about that. My very first year was kind of a roll in. We won uh, best front ensemble, and we won Lone Star. Like right, like it was crazy. We won state. We won Lone Star. Like that was a wild year. Um, if you can find 2011 Cedar Park Lone Star on YouTube. It's a, there's some hot shot snare drummers in there. A lot of Vanguard guys. Like there's a whole, there's about a half of Vanguard snare line in that snare line. Um, <laughs> like, like, like there's like no ticks. There's like one dropped left hand five lit roll diddle in the ballad. And like, that's it. It's like crazy. They're high school kids. It's like that's nuts. nuts. Um, yeah. It. And then over the years we really grew the program and, and you know, we were always kind of in the mix um, from, from the, that standpoint. Roland Chavez was the director or is still the director at Cedar Park for the percussion. And he just, He's just always so organized and so on top of his stuff, and he's always so prepared. He does a really, really great job with those guys. I love watching high school kids like succeed at a high level like that. It's just, yeah. I, almost, I mean, I love top level drum corps, but I almost like like watching high school kids do that more than I do the drum corps kids. And yeah, I would have, I would have killed to have something like what you're talking about. I didn't know that existed until you just explained it and brought it up. Like I would have killed. Like the motivation it must give them to get good. Like I think about Kentucky when I hear about it, and I'm like, they don't even have percussion judges for like the end, the, the last two like semifinals and finals shows in in KMEA. It's like, so where's yeah. the motivation for for these drum lines and front ensembles to get really really good beyond being able yeah. to do what they need to to contribute to the overall music package and visual package for the drum line for the band. Well, I think besides. I think besides the fact of like the motivation to get good, like where's the motivation to like educate the kids? Like, yeah. <laughs> right. So, but that's one of the cool yeah. things about, about, about the being able to, so like one of the thing, one of the reasons I moved around country was for these experiences. But when we first got to Cedar park, uh, my wife moved or now at the time was my girlfriend moved down there with me from Philadelphia. And she was like, okay, this is cool. But like, when are we going home? Like, we're not gonna be here forever. Right. And I remember just saying like, no, like it's one more year, one more year, one more year. Because I really wanted to be able to take Cedar Park to Grand Nationals and compete on that stage. I mean, I was from a small town in New Jersey. They're very small bands. I was at Bellbrook, um, and they did BLA, but they were single A. So, you know, like, I wanted to really be able to go there with a 3A or 4A band for BLA and compete in Grand Nationals. And we got that opportunity in 2016, and we got, like, fifth. And, like, like that, that run-through of them at finals, like, watching that Cedar Park 2016 pit, like, just have, like, the run of their lives, like, these high school kids – was just like one of the most single most fulfilling moments like of all time for me I, like that was worth like living down there not that it's a bad place to live but you know like all the grind that goes into it it's like that is the most fulfilling thing ever it's so crazy especially that- compared to drum corps because like drum corps is so good i mean I, i've stood on the same sideline at lucas Stadium and watched crown win a world championship and be completely moved to tears and it's like somehow this was like even more fulfilling you know what i mean was that the same was that the all hallows eve show that exactly what that is, yeah. I love that show so much. Yeah, that was so much fun. Cedar Park, All Hallows Eve, like that show is just so much fun to listen to. We and we had a really great fun ensemble. It was like mostly sophomores and like one junior. Um, I had this all girl Marimba line that were just like rock stars, rock star fifteen year olds that could just do anything, and they like loved it. And uh, and we just we had such a community and such a great vibe, and you could just like you could feel the the band like lift up those last couple of weeks coming out of BOA San Antonio going into the grand nationals. And it was, it was a really, really special little run. It was cool. Tex- 
Texas is crazy, man. Like yep. last year, the group uh, Prosper, I think they didn't make finals at the San Antonio Regional, but they were the only Texas band to go to BOA Grand Nationals, and they did make finals. I was like, that's nuts. Yeah, BOA San Antonio, they call it the other Grand Nationals because it's arguably more competitive than actual Grand Nationals. I mean, definitely top to bottom, it's it's for sure more competitive. The groups at the top of Grand Nationals could definitely compete at yes, San oh for Antonio, sure, like the I mean, the Carmel, Carmel, Avon, Broken right, Arrows, Carmel, like Avon, Broken Arrow. They, if they came down every year, yeah, they all. If the top five every year from Grand Nationals came to San Antonio, I mean, that would be that. Or if all the Texas bands went up to Grand Nationals, like that would be pretty pretty insane lineup. Um, but it's yeah. definitely it's definitely a special thing that happens down there every year. It's pretty cool, for sure. Well, cool. Plus, San Antonio is a fun town. Yeah, exactly. So, we've been going for about an hour now, and I feel like we could probably talk for a whole another hour. But before we wrap this up, I want to end on more of a I don't want to say serious question, but how do you? I'm assuming I've kind of gathered from just talking to you for the last hour, you're probably on board with the direction like all the miking of the front ensemble and all that stuff like those electronic changes that have happened over the past 10 15 years like are you all about that do you have any reservations about it or no i'm all about it man I, and and i maybe I'm, I'm one of the more liberal people on this but i think that when i think when we fight against it we're just fighting against against possibility it's mm-hmm. not to say that you know, like I don't want there to not be marimbas and vibraphones anymore. I think we should still have be percussion ensembles, but why not, you know, allow those things to be in there more? You know what I mean? Why not? You know, we can still educationally, you can still teach a kid how to play a vibraphone or a marimba or timpani or something or a snare drum. Educationally, they could, they're still going to go through the season and you're still going to coach them and motivate them and inspire them to be the best versions of best, best versions of themselves um and then i think with electronics like i think we kind of right now we're we're kind of doing the the students at a service a little bit um and what i mean by that is not to open up another tangent but there's so there's so many restrictive rules because we're so cautious about it that what we're forcing some of the students to do as performers i think hinders their pop hinders the, the the ceiling of their educational experience that we could be providing for them in the sense that like these kids have to push buttons to not have like rhythmic rules and things like that. When they could be playing, we could let the button press the button once to let some things play, and they could be playing real piano parts or real other electronic instrument bass lines and, and things like that. But instead, we're like cutting up vocals and doing those things. And I think that that kind of maybe puts a hindrance on that kid educationally. Now, some would argue that the education for that student is and digital music is in sampling, is in in cutting up things. But I find that the designers typically do all that stuff, and as the performers, they're left to do those other things. So that's my experience with it too. No, that's a that's a good way to look at that. I hadn't thought about it from that angle before. I like that. It's, you know, Plus, as someone it, who designed. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like you said earlier, and like we were talking about with the front ensemble stuff, it really is just like opening up more avenues of possibility unlike what you're able to do instead of boxing things in from a design standpoint an execution standpoint a performance standpoint um i'm not saying that we should just get rid of all the rules and have like a free-for-all like mad max type right. but uh but so, sometimes rules just they're there and they're outdated yeah sometimes we're just we're just nervous as a community you know it's uncharted territory for some people i feel really comfortable talking about it because i sit here every single day and cut up electronic samples and write pit music and write battery music and design for percussion. And so like, I'm, I live in this every day and I know what the designers are doing. I know what I'm doing myself as a designer, what my colleagues are doing, my peers, and I know what the students are asked to to perform. And I think that we can provide them a better opportunity as a community to, to be able to, to grow as performers behind those instruments and not just be button pushers. Um, for the sake of, of different rules. And if you've ever tried to put together a percussion ensemble with a track, it's really hard. <laughs> and so there's a lot of people who think that it's, there's an advantage to it, but I find it to be almost harder. You can't really do it. Like people, when you know we go to the WGI PAB meetings, this comes up every few years about 
like loosening up the rules on sampling. And people always say, well, you know, like, well, they can just play to the track. It's like, you're never going to really do that. You're not going to press, press play for two minutes and let the thing go. You might, you might group, you know, like four bars up together of a, mm-hmm. of a melody or something, but you're certainly not going to play for, for measures and, and counts and bars on end. You know? Yeah. Have you, and, have you ever had one kid try to play to a track and not fall out of tempo, much less like 30? Like, that's just not what they're going to use it for. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I think in practice, we would find that if we could just allow ourselves to try it. Yeah, but we're, we're, hopefully we'll get there one day as a community. I feel like we're making we're moving there further and further. And again, going back to that, like I think it really, like we like the marimba kids get all this attention, the 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 the, the rack kids get it get all this attention, and then the synth kids. Sometimes there's a cool piano solo they can play. Sometimes there's a cool bass line they can play. But so much of the time, they're they're button pushers, and that, I don't think that's fair to them. That's for sure. I agree. Well, I love that. Yeah, I don't know about you, Evan. I think that's a a good note to end this sucker on. What do you th- What do you say? You got anything else? Well, just a, I'll let you do a couple red carpet rollouts. Uh, I'm gonna take that from Sean Evans on Hot Ones, <laughs> who it's a YouTube channel. If anybody watches that, yeah, I've seen uh, it. But like, so what are you into right now? What's What's the next on the agenda? Are you doing the Westchester things? Kind of, what you got? Yeah, man. Um, so Westchester University, uh, we just were awarded the Sudler Trophy uh, from the John Philip Sousa Foundation. Um, which if you're familiar with the Sudler Shield in, in like BOA, it's kind of similar. Basically, it's awarded to a college or university band program for innovation and design, music design, visual design, over over the total body of work of the band program. Um, the Westchester University, which is right here outside of Philadelphia, we're the first Division II school to be awarded that. Um, and I serve as the front ensemble arranger there. This is my second year. Um, and we're, you know, we just try to, we do something different than the, than a normal college band and like a big 10 band, for example, might learn six shows a season and they kind of alternate between those shows. We learn one show the same way a high school or a drum corps does. We learn one field show with a pit, a full front ensemble, full color guard, like full array of instruments. Um, and the idea behind that is marching band is a requirement for music ed majors. And so if they come from a small program, maybe that doesn't have a marching band or just had a kind of a pep band or something at their high school they get the experience of putting together a college band program or, or put together a field show, I should say. And For so that's all season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that that's kind of where that comes from. We've, we've, we've been awarded for that. So that was really cool. That happened back in the end of September. i um, just had United percussion auditions. I'm taking over as the front ensemble coordinator there this season. Um, sound designer. That is going to, I'm really, really excited about that. I haven't been this excited about an indoor season in quite some time. So that's going to be pretty cool. Nice. Um, and then, uh, I'll be joining the cadets this summer um, on their front ensemble faculty, kind of as a consultant, older senior advisor person um, to, to the front ensemble uh, staff they have there. I might do a little bit of spring training, do a little bit of tour, um, kind of just bring whatever I can, bring my energy, bring my my thoughts, my ideas to, to what they're doing. It's a great fit for me because I've kind of been out of drum corps for a couple of years, took a couple of summers to myself to kind of chill out at our beach house. And now that I'm going to get back into a little bit, it helps that the cadets are an hour away from me. I can go to a couple camps, maybe be a little bit of spring training, a little bit of tour and just kind of still have my summers. So I'm excited nice. about that too. That yeah, cool. sounds like the best of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm kind of finding a nice little balance of everything, um, you know, with, with, with my day to day writing going on. So it's been good. Awesome. Awesome, man. All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in and sticking around this long. Uh, Make sure you hit subscribe on the YouTube channel, like the Facebook page, follow us on Instagram for all updates and when new episodes are posted. Uh, also, can subscribe on Spotify and iTunes, uh, whichever podcast service you prefer. Uh, all that stuff helps. Keep spreading the word. Uh, we appreciate all the support for this point. Throw questions at us, whatever you want to do. And uh, we'll see everybody in a couple weeks with the uh, next guest. Peace.